Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be having a chat with Dan Levy after Ireland cemented its place as world number one by beating the Springboks. We'll be discussing Scotland's SOS call to Finn Russell and looking back at a horror weekend for England and Wales. Plus, we'll be looking ahead to another massive round of fixtures in the Autumn Nation series. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's the recovery going, lads? Absolutely fine. My recovery is absolutely fine. I mean, I only had to recover from 8 to 10. Ask the man who has to recover from 80 to 100. <laughs> well, I went pretty hard in Dublin, I'm not going to lie. And I'm disappointed in You were Jim. thirsty, though. No, no, we'll come on to the disappointment. But how thirsty were you? Like, As in, I knew when you were four pints of Guinness and Blackcurrant Deep before the chips had even been eaten. R five that <laughs> it was going to be a long and eventful neat. First and foremost, we should say a massive shout out to Cafe On Sen, uh, another great gig over there in Dublin. But I didn't feel great Thursday. I'm not going to lie. I am not going to lie. Maybe it was the fish and chips. Maybe it was the kebab at four o'clock in the morning. All I know is there was so much Guinness and black drank with Dan Levy. I don't think he had any of the black current. Jim, you were just an embarrassment. You say you feel fine. Recovery's good. You smoke bombed. The biggest smoke bomb I've ever seen in my life at half 12. Half 12 was being generous as well. I'm happy with half 12. Like, I reckon it was half 10, 11, but half 12 makes me sound like a rock and roller. So it was half 12. Yeah. Professional, mate. Got a lot on. Like it's the busiest period, Andrew. I don't want to burn the candle at both ends. But the thing is with all this, like people know this. I mean, it's not going to be like, wow, shock. Goody, you can operate on very little optimal lifestyle habits like you can like you are one of the few people i know on this planet that can operate with no water with no vegetables with no fruit all he needs is a pack of camel 25 pints of guinness and black currant an hour's sleep and you can go you can deliver i can't do that i literally cannot function i am a bad parent i am a horrible husband and i'm an even worse host and i was hosting at the weekend Again, so I've got to be like watered, slept, massaged, fed, comforted, bigged up. I've got to be in that space to do my job. Andy Goode, on the other hand, fucking nothing. He don't need a thing. He just needs calories. Calories and one hour's sleep and he will deliver. You are a better man than me is all I know, Andrew Good. <laughs> well, you said it. You did say it. But yeah, no, luckily for me, Dan Levy joined us for the show and uh, me and him went pretty hard. And my last sort of memories were walking down some streets in Dublin with a kebab and Dan Levy at maybe 4.30 in the morning. I told the missus it was like half 11, so I was fine. But uh, yeah, Thursday was a very difficult day. I'm not going to lie. Uh, flying back from Dublin to England, doing a bit of work on the way as well. And then Friday, luckily it was a chilled day. So I got 18 hours of golfing on Friday, recovery. So I walked and sweated out a lot of the Guinness and Blackcurrant on Friday. And then, yeah, Saturday was a lovely day actually. Family, 
we ended up, uh, there was a kids' party, then we were down at uh, a fireworks display, and then Sunday was absolutely ruined by Eddie Jones and his England team. I was at Twickenham, and we'll get onto it a bit later, but the atmosphere was poor, the game was poor, the weather was shocking, and we took the kids to a party at Harrods on Sunday morning. I wish I'd have stayed there, to be honest. Recovery was key Thursday, Friday. Saturday was a good day, and then Sunday was an absolute shit show at Twickenham. So we're on Monday, and we're positive again, because this week... Scotland are going to beat New Zealand and England are going to beat Japan. We'll come on to all that, Andrew. And I'm not surprised you're more positive. Who the hell has a party? And let's not crack over it at Harrods. Who goes to Harrods for a fucking kid's birthday party? The goods do. Some friends, they had a party at the Christian Louboutin area of Harrods and a kid's party. What's that mean? Yeah, shoes, mate. Shoes, high-end shoes. Hey, and you got a kid's party at a shoe, in a shoe shop? Uh, yeah, the Mrs. Knows people. And she knows people in high places and all I do, I'm the driver basically, I'm the taxi driver, the baggage man and sort the kids out, make sure they get there on time and I just stand there and look at people. So um, I wish I'd have stayed actually because I, I dropped them off, stayed for a little bit, had a one drink there and then drove to Twickenham. Are them Louis, Louis Bajuton shoes, are they the ones with the red bottoms? <laughs> Louis Bajutons. <laughs> are they? They're the ones. They the shoes. Because I'm trying to I, I, like, as in you've paid. You said it so quickly. I was at a kid's birthday party at Harrods at Louis Bajubons or whatever his name is in a shoe shop. Like I just, I'm trying to. Christian Louboutin, James. Are they the red bottoms? They're the red soles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could yeah. pull them off. So I tell you now, I could pull some high heels off if they've got extra wide, extra long and wide. They're the trainers that I wear. I had to give him a clean on Thursday morning after a night out in Dublin, but there we go. How was your weekend, James? You must have been fresh. I was. I was fresh, thank you very much. Yeah, half 12, rock and roll. I told you, big weekend of ruggers. I was at the big one at the weekend. Mentioned that, actually, when I was in Dublin. I said, we're going to preview the big one, Scotland versus Fiji. And not the irony, a bit horrible, really. So all over the bus shelters in Edinburgh, they're previewing and they're promoting the prime video games of the weekend. So as we know... Wales, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, England, Argentina, France, Australia. Italy, Samoa. Yeah, Italy, Samoa weren't on there. Neither was Scotland, Fiji, even though they're all <laughs> over the bus stops. So you weren't happy? Well, it didn't really bother me. It was almost not... For me, it was an important game. And for Scotland, it was an important game, naturally, because of where we are as a team at the minute. But in the grand schemes of the weekend, it was played in the shadows of some of the perceived bigger games. But... It was good. I was there. I'm loving it. Uh, we're going to call it the Jim Hamilton suite now. They're, they're warming to me. Well, we'll talk more about that. Talk more about Scotland over the weekend. Finn Russell being back and, of course, what they've got coming up in the weekend. But let's start at Twickenham. Because, Jim, you called it, didn't you? Yeah, I didn't call it on my fan zone. I actually called it for the Japan game. But it's going to be two from two, isn't it? Two losses from two. I did think that it would have been a struggle. And I put a tweet out, Goody. I don't know if you saw it, I don't know if you shared it. It went viral anyway. It got about 30 likes. So people were enjoying what I said. Underestimated Argentina. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I won a series down there in 2010. I don't know. Maybe it's because we got robbed in the 2011 World Cup because Contepomi, now the coach of Argentina, was 40 metres offside. When Dan Parks went for the drop goal, we would have made it to the semis and probably won it. Maybe that's why I'm underestimating Argentina. But when I watched them at the weekend and I looked at their players and I looked at the build-up and you look at Buffelli, you mentioned his kicking. And I was happy to say, honestly, knew he kicked the ball, knew he took shots at goal, didn't realise how good he was a kicker. So you brought that up. We saw that at the weekend. You can talk about that. I'm going to talk about the out-and-out -out physicality of the Argentina team. The back row. Anlet Lavanini, Matera, Kremer, 
goodness gracious me. And also, you have to look at it, and this isn't me underestimating it, but you've got to look how they went into this game. Argentina were primed. All the Southern Hemisphere teams have been primed this weekend. They were, I thought they were brilliant. I thought they were physical. I thought they were brilliant. England didn't offer much. I thought England were poor. But all about Argentina and Michael Checker. And that's me being positive. A negative part to it, Goody, because I know you can get into it. The RFU and that output at Twickenham Stadium. I mean, without sounding horrible, let's just say I saw it on a tweet. More energy in a morgue. I saw that on a tweet somewhere. So I'm just rephrasing what I saw. Goodness me. Talking about growing the games. Get the names on the back of the shirts. I'll tell you what. Blast out the rude as well when Faz kicks a kick. Fuck me. Yeah, it was the, the atmosphere was weird, actually. And I, I don't know whether it was absolutely battering it down all Sunday morning in London, driving into London, then driving to Twickenham. The weather was atrocious. Then it stopped for a little bit. And it's a Sunday, it's a 2.15 kickoff, it's at Twickenham, you know, ticket prices, and I'll say it on here, you talk about the RFU and you talk about the atmosphere and stuff like that. Part of it is around the ticket pricing and the people that can afford to go. So the people that will go and enjoy a rugby game probably can't afford to go to Twickenham anymore. The prices of tickets are beyond ridiculous. So I think from what I hear, they had to give a load away to get it full for the weekend. Now, I was at the game and I'm like, there's absolutely no atmosphere here at all. And people, I nearly tweeted about the old prawn sandwich brigade at Twickenham where there's absolutely no noise. And it comes with the game, it comes with the the energy in the stadium and all that stuff. But then, actually, I, I saw some comments around the Wales-New Zealand game as well. And Jim, we were messaging each other as well, talking about the atmospheres at other grounds. Some it's gone on where, because I think it's the ticket prices are way too high for actual people that will come and enjoy it and make a bit of a scene and an atmosphere compared to people that just sit there and, and loads of complaints at Twickenham at the weekend for people just going and buying beers and sitting at the bar, not even watching the game. And that's because these people, they're probably corporates that have you know, gone on companies' expenditure to get the tickets. And you know, it's then not real fans going to watch the game. And you know, It feels so forced, doesn't it? That's what I mean. In terms of like this whole growing the game, we've been across it for the last few weeks, past few months, past few years. We spoke about putting the names on the back of the jerseys. Bill Sweeney comes out and said, yeah, this could work or whatever. People are talking about making the event an experience. And what goes with that? The buzzword is music. I referenced it there. It was bloody embarrassing. So after a kick or a break in play, they're blasting out fucking Zombie Nation, the tune. <laughs> A 1990, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was an absolute classic when they had me glow sticks. Hell of a tune. WKD, Smirnoff Ice in hand, and I'm there dancing, looking a million dollars with my Burberry jacket on. That actually weren't Burberry, it was Gerberry, in a Coventry <laughs> nightclub. What is that? Genuinely, what is that? It's growing the game. But people have paid, Goody, a lot of money. Like, people at the top level of our game, the RFU, one of the richest unions in the world, if they are getting it wrong, right, if they can't even work it out and do it properly, then what hope does it have? Like, I'm watching, yeah. I'm like, this is absolutely shocking. It's embarrassing. A lot of stadiums do it now, don't they? So you watch and it starts off and you look at atmospheres, right? So look around sports where you think there's a great atmosphere. People want to go and watch the darts because there's a great atmosphere. That's just because you can drink as much as you want, sit down, and you know that anytime someone gets a 180, it's da 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 And everyone joins in. Oi, oi. And I think someone's gone, that's a great idea. Let's put loads of music on when there's a break or, you know, let's use our amazing sound system. We've invested loads of millions of quid in to at Twickenham to make 
it sound unbelievable. But then the problem is, in the stadium, you've got people that haven't got a clue about the music or aren't there to party. They're just there because they've got loads of cash uh, or their company's bought them a load of tickets and they've got no interest in the rugby. So they're actually missing the music. So it just doesn't go hand in hand. And, you know, the England performance was a disaster. First and foremost, the blame game. I blame Scotland. I blame the SRU. I blame Scotland for England losing to Argentina this weekend because I said it last week and you mentioned it earlier, Jim. Had Buffelli not been the goal kicker for Edinburgh for the last couple of years, had they had insisted that Blair Kinghorn kicked for Edinburgh, then Buffelli wouldn't have nailed all his kicks at the weekend, scored 25 points, scored a wonderful try in the corner and England wouldn't have lost to Argentina. But one thing I am happy about England losing to Argentina, I'll tell you this, I've lost a record, lads. I have lost a record over the weekend and I'm delighted to say England last lost to Argentina in 2009 when I was the fly half out in Argentina. Played against Magic Juan Hernandez, complete polar opposites, fat English fly half, bold against the most beautiful man to look at ever, the most skillful player you've probably ever seen, pull on a rugby jersey. He was at 10 for Argentina. They beat us. So actually, I was the last fly half to start a game for England and lose to Argentina. Marcus Smith, that is now your mantle, son. It's not mine anymore. Because we are shite at the minute. And you said last week New Zealand is shit, Jim. How about England? Hang on. Let's just get this right because producer Rob stitched me up. That was the headline out on YouTube. <laughs> as in, the All Blacks are shite. <laughs> Some jokers are agreeing with me in the lead up to it. And then by the end of it, and I'm sure we're going to dissect that game with an open clasp. Oh, my physicality. Oh, my Ardis Surveyor. But cheers, producer Rob, is all I'm saying. New Zealand are shite. That is what went up in the changing rooms. And... <laughs> All for me. I'm happy, but I don't really want to put me down to it because I said it in tongue and cheek. <laughs> Gerd, you mentioned Smith there. What do you make of Smith and Farrell? Started together five times now. Is it worth sticking with them? It ain't working, Goody. No, I'll be, I'll be, on, no, I'll be honest. And this is my thing. So Eddie Jones has made a thing of he wants Farrell at 12, he wants Marcus Smith at 10, and he wants Manu Tulangi at 13. He's openly said that's his... That's his combination. He's 10, 12, 13 that he thinks can go on and win a World Cup. Now, to me, and I've said it for a long time, Farrell doesn't work at 12. And personally, and I said it, I was doing some Q&As pre-match uh, at Twickenham, uh, hosted one with Chris Ashton, did one with Alex Goode. How bad's Alex Goode at a Q&A, by the way? Wonderful rugby player. Shocking at a Q&A. Let me tell you, pre-match, I said, I don't think Owen Farrell should be playing 12. Your best combo is either Owen Farrell or Marcus Smith at 10, and then Manu Tuolangi and Henry Slade in the centres. Now, I openly think the way Marcus Smith played this year, that he should be on the bench and Owen Farrell should start at 10, and we should have Slade and Tuolangi in the centres. But the problem with Farrell at 12 is he doesn't play like a 12. He doesn't play the way Marcus Smith likes a 12 to play. The team looks lost where they don't know who the first receiver is, they don't know who's calling the shots. Our attacking game is blunt as anything they look lethargic they look knackered and it's week one and I just think go back to pre-match when Eddie Jones has done a load of interviews and said oh we're playing Argentina in the World Cup in a year's time so you know this is like a mini World Cup for us but we're going to keep loads of stuff up our sleeve fuck me he must have a big sleeve because we showed absolutely nothing and attack did we so do I think it works at the minute with Smith at 10 and, and Farrell at 12 absolutely not uh, I think at the minute he's got to either pick Farrell at 10 uh, and have two other centres or Smith at 10 Farrell on the bench and have two other centres. It's it's not working. Marcus Smith isn't allowed to play to his strengths. He looks a shadow of the player in an England jersey as he does in a Harlequins jersey. And I know you can't just play the way Harlequins play or the way he plays, but you're picking him because of that's how he plays for Harlequins. So you've got to allow him to dominate the game as a 10 and play that way. And one thing Alex Gude did say, and this might get a headline or two, <laughs> 
Alex Gu did say in a Q&A that Eddie Jones is a dictator. So he will not let Marcus Smith play the way he wants to play. And Owen Farrell is the leader of the dictatorship in terms of the players. So he called Eddie Jones a a dictator. Eddie Jones is the ultimate control freak in terms of how he wants his teams to play. And he doesn't allow players to flourish in that environment. And the product at the weekend was he's holding everything up his wizard sleeve for the World Cup next year because we showed absolutely nothing. So we were shite. I'll say it here. We were shite. Talk to me about Santiago Carrera's try. There's chat about whether it was a knock-on in the lead-up to that try. What are your thoughts? Well, I tweeted about it because, actually, when you look when you look at it first up, you think, oh, it looks a bit weird. So what I loved with Andrew Brace, great referee. What a bloke Andrew Brace is as well. You've been messaging him or not? I have. I have. And I'll, shall I play it on here, actually? Shall I play it? Yeah, go on then. Yeah, go on. What's been happening here? So I was messaging him during the game, actually, on Saturday. He's a top boy, is Andrew Brace. And I'll play it on here because... I just picked up every time he said use it at the weekend. He did it in this really kind of weird voice. So let me just play this. Oh, look at you two. Use it, use it. Oh, you're turning me on, Andrew. Oh. And use it. Use it. Oh, look at you two. Use it. Oh. Use it. Oh, well. Oh, God, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. You just got to have mates in high places, Jim. But I loved it, the way he was like, and use it! And so I took the piss out of him, sent him a few voice notes, and he was messaging me back last night. But I listen, you know, what I loved about Andrew Brace and that decision was he let the play unfold and was then going to go back and check it. We see how the refs just blow up straight away and go, oh, it must have been a knock-on. And then sometimes it turns out it wasn't. And then I'm an England fan. I wanted it to be a no-try. I wanted England to win. And I've looked at it and I've there's two or three angles, different angles. One of them I was convinced that he's got nowhere near it and not touched it at all. One of them you see a slight ball deviation, but you don't actually see like a bend of the fingers or it touching the fingers. So you, it's a presumption. So actually when the question is, you need to show me something that's clear and obvious that it's a knock-on, you can't do it, can you? So it has to be a try. So there's England fans going, oh, it was definitely a knock-on, deviation of the ball. But, you know, sometimes when they slow it down and you see, like, the fingers bend as it touches the ball, you don't see any of that. So I think it was the right decision to give the try off the basis of the framework of what referees have to go by. I like the way he said play on because he knew, I think he felt there was going to be a try and to come back to it and check it. And ultimately, it was a try in the end and, unfortunately, Argentina get the win. If England lose three out of four, or even four this autumn, Goody... Do you think anything will happen with Eddie Jones? Should he walk or does it make any difference whatsoever? He'll be crawling, I reckon. Yeah, it makes absolutely no difference. Again, we've been over this conversation, you know, as much as I think it should make a difference. There's no one at the RFU. Bill Sweeney talks about being the CEO. He's got no rugby sort of acumen. He's a very good businessman, et cetera, et cetera. But he's, he's all about commercial billers. He's all about like yeah. the knowledge of growing the game, shirts on back, <laughs> the rude zombie nation. Shirts on back. Shirt, shirts on back. Of course you've got back to have shirts. It doesn't really matter, mate. Hey, you can have hey, you can have names on feet and shirts on back, mate. It don't really matter. It matters it matters or nothing. It's the same thing. We've had this conversation, haven't we? There's no way the RFU are sacking him pre- World Cup now, even if we lost four from four and then maybe if we got the wooden spoon in the Six Nations. I don't know. Again, the, the RFU have backed themselves into a corner completely with Eddie Jones and the power that he's got. We're sticking with him till the World Cup. The one thing that needs to change, I think, is he's come out and the RFU have come out and said, we want the next coach to be able to work with Eddie Jones at the World Cup in 12 months' time and all that stuff. So Steve Borthwick's obviously probably getting the job, isn't he? What you do hope is whoever, Bill Sweeney and whoever else at the RFU, they learn from this 
so that the, the the head coach in charge hasn't got all that power. There's someone that he reports to with rugby acumen above him because a CEO who hasn't any rugby coaching experience or DOR experience or played the game at a top level hasn't got anything to hold over Eddie Jones apart from, well, you lost the game. So, you know, what's happening? And it also depends what their expectation is as well. Like I mentioned Argentina, how good they are before we started talking about it. They also beat Australia, who we now know are a very good team. They nearly beat France at the weekend. They're no mugs. It depends what the expectation of the powers that be are. Do you know what I mean? If it is all about the World Cup, maybe Eddie Jones has said, look, it's all about the World Cup. I need to look at players. I need to I need to stick with Smith, Farrell, Tuolangi, like that 10, 12, 13. I need to look at Joe Thocken, a singer on the wing. He's not even been playing well for Bath. He played well at the weekend. He did. But it's yeah. like, I, I, you know, maybe he's, this is part of the grand plan. And we've seen it with the very best teams in the world. They work in cycles and it is all about the World Cup. Are England good enough? And it's a rhetorical question. Are they good enough and do they have enough behind them in terms of the backing of the powers that be for Eddie Jones? Because it is all about winning the World Cup. Because if it isn't, say they go to the World Cup, right? And they don't, say they don't make it out of their group. And then you look back at what's gone before. You're like, Jesus Christ, what the hell? We finished third, effectively fourth. We finished fifth in the Six Nations. Back-to-back losses against Scotland. Well, actually, they're going to lose three times in a row. So three losses against Scotland on, on the bounce. A home loss against Argentina. Um, Italy nearly beat them. Ireland ha- absolutely hammered them. Like, you know, go back through the archives and look. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're giving him time. Maybe they are. Maybe this is part of the grand plan. But I just reiterate, Argentina, goodness me, we've got them last game of the... Autumn Nation series, they are proper good. What changes do you expect them to make ahead of the Japan test? The obvious one is nine, Goody. They'll give Van Poorfleet a start. Yeah, I mean, looking at the squad that's been announced, Jamie George is back in the squad. He's miraculously recovered. Johnny May is a week fitter. He might get a game. 10-12 axis, what do you do? Do you pick Farrell at 10? Bench Marcus Smith? Do you bench Farrell? I can't ever imagine him benching Farrell however he plays. So he may play Smith at 10. You know, does Guy Porter come in at 12? You know, you've got to make changes. You've got to give people opportunity in this game. There's no point in picking the same team that you picked against Argentina. But yeah, you're right. Nine's the big one. People weren't happy with Ben Young's performance. It was, you know, it was, seemed a bit slow and, and, you know, cumbersome at times. And then Jack Van Portfleet comes on, who did so well in the summer tour. You've got to now back him and say, right, you're my guy for a bit. Ben Young's has got all the experience in the world. You're not going to learn anything else about Ben Young's in between now and the World Cup. So play him, of course, play him. But he doesn't need to play every game. So you need to give Jack Van Portfleet starts. You need to... Alex Mitchell's back in the squad now. Rafi Quirk got himself injured playing for sale at the weekend. Looked quite a bad injury uh, by all accounts. So you've got to see other people in other jerseys. And, you know, it's difficult. Had they smashed Argentina, which they clearly didn't, it's easier to change up the team and say, right, we're giving people opportunity. You know, like Ireland will do against Fiji probably. But when you've lost one and your next game is Japan where everyone expects you to beat them... It's, it's risk-reward in terms of how much does he gamble. Do you know what they have to do? They need to move Joe Thokkanasinger into the centre. If Manu's not going to play, similar to what George North has done, Rico Ioane for New Zealand, put Thokkanasinger in the centre and give him the ball to crash it up. And then that way you can have Farrell at 10. Then you opens up for a, a Henry Arundel. You've got a Caden Murley to go on the wing. You've got a Johnny May to go on the wing. You've got Radwan Man. You've got these Rapido players 
that won't get the shot because I think Jack Knowles should play every day of the week that he's fit. I think he's that integral to the team. Well, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying around putting someone big in this. I'd play, if you're going to move a winger to the centre, I'd play Jack Knoll in the centre. Cocking a singer. He looked good when he got the ball. Yeah, but he's not a 13. So, you know, you're putting someone big and powerful in a position. That, it's like you playing six, mate. You're an absolute animal in the second row. Can you imagine oh, mate, you playing cheers. six? Not a chance. I tell you, it would have freed me up. I tell you now, scary. <laughs> Talk about breakdown, goodness <laughs> me. It would have freed me up. In our latest Rugby Pod Stories episode, we are taking a look at the life and career of England head coach Eddie Jones and ask the question, is his Maverick style of coaching genius or just pure insanity? Just search Rugby Pod on YouTube and check out our channel to find this and the rest of the videos in the series. Well, the men might not have had a good weekend, but England's women are through to another World Cup final, aren't they, Goody? Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously, I think people expected this to be the final, but I don't think people expected that semi-final against Canada to be as close as it was. Uh, 26-19, an absolute worldie of a try from Abby Dow from under their own sticks. But you listen to Simon Middleton after the game and... Um, yeah, the way he speaks about they weren't didn't play as well as they'd liked. They've got to improve a hell of a lot to beat the Black Ferns this weekend. But fair play to Canada. They were at it and, you know, listening to the, the, the coach after the game and his press conference, he's like, We know we can now compete with the top teams in the world. So um, you know, England it's it's a good test for them actually because yeah, apart from the France game, they've not really been tested too much in the pool stages. Um and then to have a bit of a scare and a bit of a close semi final will certainly sharpen the mind this week and sharpen training up to, to go and smash the Black Ferns, Andy Rowe. And we're going to take the crown back from your town, Auckland. It's going to be a sellout nearly at Eden Park, let's hope, and should be a comfortable victory for England again, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. Well, Jim, Scotland won the game, but were they any more impressive than England? Yeah, because they won. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> Tough game. I, I said that last week when we were talking about the game against Fiji. The athletes, they've got the freak athletes that I said, and I mean that in the kindest of sense. I would have loved to have been a freak athlete. I, I wish that people would still call me that. And there's not many people you can call that, but the Fijians you can. Like we've played with them, Goody. We know they're phenomenal athletes, phenomenal rugby players individually. The big question going into the game was collectively, you know, had they got a good enough line out, had they got a good enough scrum, the tight aspects of the game, could they deliver? And there were aspects where they did. The line out struggled. Their scrum wasn't amazing, but they scored a nice pick-and-go try. And they put Scotland under, under a lot of pressure in that first half. They were winning two minutes to go in that first half. But the headline stuff, and Vern Cotter mentioned it after. Not to me, don't speak to me anymore. But he mentioned it to the media after. Three yellow cards. So that's the obvious one, was the discipline around that. Their game management. And I know I'm talking a lot about Fiji because I want to give them credit. You know, you look at that Scotland team. It was a top-class Scotland team, it was probably the best team that Gregor thought we had in terms of fielding Cameron Redpath in the centre with Chris Harris. Uh, Adam Hastings started at 10. Duan van der Merwe, Darcy Graham on the wing. Stuart Hogg back at fullback. Hamish Watson, Ali Price, Xander Fagerson, British and Irish Lions. So we had a good team out and we struggled really. And I suppose this is the worry. I don't want to be too down on Scotland because the scoreline 28-12 is a decent win we could have lost that game and we didn't so the second half we came back Adam Hastings scores a nice try that's showing goo just before half time takes us 14-12 in at the break that for me is the game changer because we go into the sheds as Nick White calls it at half time winning and then the second half we just controlled it more like the line out drive started to work a little bit better we controlled field position our discipline was better but no disrespect, it was Fiji. And it was almost like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. 
lost Adam Hastings in the second half, got absolutely blitzed by Albert Tuisui. Oh my, Tuisui. He'd been tuisui He got whiplash, he wrecked his knee, and I, I'm gutted for Adam because I reckon if they would have come through that game, they might have started him at 10 against New Zealand. And the headlines are, headline, headline, but it won't be tomorrow. Finn's back. Finn's back in the squad. So through fault, really, than design, everyone's got what they want. They've got Finn Russell back in the squad. But as we know, having watched the All Blacks against Wales and the fact that we'd never beat them, you know, if we grade that performance at the weekend a 5 out of 10 against Fiji, everyone knows, unless you're Mills Mulliaina, who thinks it don't matter if you lose to Scotland if you're an All Black at the weekend. That's how much he rates us. But we've got to be as good as we were when we beat England during COVID down at Twickenham, so a couple of years ago. And I've not seen us that. I've not. We're going to have to be as good as we've ever been, but as good as that, I think, to even be in the game against the All Blacks. And you know what? There's a part of me that thinks that we could do it. It always happens, doesn't it, Jim? It always happens. There needs to be some big changes, though. And we'll get into that in a minute. Two things. So firstly, when Albert Tuisui smashes uh, Adam Hastings... You think, that's Gloucester on Gloucester. What, what are you doing, pal? That's your teammate. Well, that is like players that can generate power. And we saw Manu do it at the weekend as well with one of his tackles. Yeah. That is him just saying, look, we might lose this game, but can you generate power like this within an inch of <laughs> space? No, yeah. you can't. Sorry, Adam. You go, you're going off, mate. I'm saving your blushes, blushes against the All Blacks. I'm saving your blushes against Argentina. But that's their point of difference, isn't it? And I know... Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure Albert seems like a lovely bloke. See a couple of features on him. But I'm, I'm gutted for Adam because I would have liked to see him have another shot. But Blair came on, did well. But then it opens the door now, doesn't it? Everyone wanted to see, apart from Gregor, every Scotland fan <laughs> wants to see and wanted to see Finn back in the squad. Like genuinely, yeah. it's so funny. I was at the gym the other day and just earwicking, a load of old boys sat around and they're talking about Finn. They don't realise they've got one of the great Scotland players stood next to them, vice-captain. These old boys were like, yeah, Finn Russell, he's lost his legs. He's just lost his legs. I was, I was watching him play the other week. I don't know, I don't even know who he was playing for, but yeah, he, he looks overweight, you know, he looks overweight and he's, and he's lost his legs. He's, he's old now, isn't he? It's so funny listening to people talk about players, but the fact that they're talking about Finn, they clearly know nothing about rugby, but that's how big he is in Scotland. I know we are going over old ground here, like we are, but we're talking about one of the best players. And he's back now against the All Blacks. He'll be on the bench, I imagine. Who knows yeah. with Gregor Townsend? There'll be a few changes. I think he might start Ben White as scrum half. You know, the big question there, what kind of involvement does Finn have against the All Blacks? Massive opportunity for Gregor to swallow his pride and just say, I was wrong. Finn, you're the man. Start at fly half and lead us to victory. But can you see him starting or not? You know what? No. Really? Oh, no, Gregor. I can't. I, I, mate, he's given the keys to the kingdom to Blair Kinghorn. It would be, I'd be, say, the biggest shock I've had in the five years of being retired if he starts Finn Russell against the All Blacks. He might not even be on the bench. They might not even, he, they might pick like, Ollie Smith at fullback and put Hoggy on the bench to cover a few different positions. I don't know. I don't, I, I, and that's the thing, and that's the worry with Scotland Goody is we don't know. I know England are going through their processes of what they're doing. You don't know who the best 10, 12, 13 are. Like Cam Redpath played at 12 at the weekend. He, you know, he was all right. You've got Sione Tupolotu, who for me has been one of the standout players for Glasgow. We know how good Chris Harris is. We don't really know. We don't know. I, I couldn't sit here and name. I, I've got an opinion on the best 15, but I think we should have known that going into this game against the All Blacks. But we know we're good for one. We know we're good for a big one. 
I can see us beating the All Blacks and losing to Argentina. That's what I can see. <laughs> you heard it here first. How do they play it if they want to keep it under 50, Jim? They've got to be, quote me on this, mad fucking physical. I watched the All Blacks <laughs> against Wales and I could not believe how physical they were. Ardi Surveyor, whether or not he, well, firstly, OP's not playing. So hope Ardi Surveyor's not playing. I thought Papalihi, he, 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 Papalihi, he, he, was ridiculous. So he's monster strong, isn't he? It's ridiculous. So you look at what they did to Wales around that nine channel, runners off nine, picking goo. Everyone speaks about the All Blacks, this counter-attack that they play, this open style of rugby. They went full beast mode on Wales at the weekend in that position. I've never seen Wales. I mean, you kind of come to expect it when you look at the regions and how poorly they're performing, how they're going to beat the All Blacks. But You said last week the All Blacks were shit and Wales might win. I said it in shite compared to how they have been in years <laughs> gone by. In Scotland and Welsh terms, they're world class. But in answer to your question, Andy Rowe, they're going to have to go monster. They're going to have to start monstering players like they've never monstered them because what I saw from the All Blacks at the weekend almost looked unplayable at times, but I think Wales were poor. So I'm putting my slippers on the block here and I love my slippers. I reckon, oh God, I don't want to put too much pressure on them. I want us to win. Scotland by four. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about that Welsh performance then. Where did it all go wrong for them? They're playing New Zealand, weren't they? And as Jim said, Ardi Surveyor was ridiculous. Aaron Smith was ridiculous. Papa Lee was ridiculous. They, they were so devastating, New Zealand. And, and it's what they haven't been good at over the last sort of six months. I think they got into Wales's 22 10 times and scored eight tries. Like, you talk about being clinical, that's how they were. Every time they got to the 22, they looked like they were going to score. So, uh, Wales, they tried hard. Um, and I saw a load of complaints about the atmosphere in the stadium as well in Cardiff. Roof was closed, but the ball was wet. There were still knock ons and all that stuff. And listen, I think everyone built up hope in Wales that they could compete with New Zealand, they could beat New Zealand potentially, because as Jim Hamilton said on this podcast last week, New Zealand were shit. Well, New Zealand listened to the podcast, New Zealand opened their cloth up, wiped their arses and basically shoved it in Jim Hamilton's Rubbed it in Ali Surveyor's face. No, they rubbed it in Ali Surveyor's mouth and were like, this is what they're saying. And he was like, what's your saying, motherfucker? And they just went absolutely fucking beast mode. Have you ever seen anyone play like that? Is he the hardest rugby player in the world or what? That at the weekend, he is absolutely monstering people. Like, take me legs, lads. Go on, take me legs, take me legs. No, no, you ain't taking them. I'm fucking running through a wall. He literally was running through walls. I don't know whether it was because Wales were so bad in defence. Have you ever seen Wales? Well, actually, you know what? Speaking frankly, if he's running at me, I'm taking a dummy. Like he could, <laughs> even if you don't throw a dummy, I'm taking the dummy. So, jeez, Louise, Jim, would you have Alan Wynne Jones on your bench? Doesn't matter what I think, Andy Rowe. You say his legs are gone. Well, yeah, they've gone. They have. I don't know what to say. I don't. I don't. I don't know how to say. It. You're asking me the question. I can hide behind it and say that. He's not. And you look at the comments of uh, the beast, what he said at the weekend, and it might have come across as nasty or horrible. We're talking about Alan Wynne-Jones. We're talking about one of the greatest of all time. We're talking about the goat of Welsh rugby. There ain't been a better player ever. When your time's up, your time's up. Like, it, it, and I'm not saying his time is up. It isn't for me to retire him. It's not. It's for, not. It's not. You don't think his time's up? No, it, it'll go to the World Cup. He's got big games in him. He's not going to play masses of rugby between now and the World Cup, but I'm not saying he's their out-and-out best player anymore because he has been for years, but 
you can't retire him because he was on the bench against New Zealand and they scored 50 uh, against you. Because if you did, there'd be no players left in Wales. There'd be no players left in Scotland. There'll be no players left in England probably the week after. Like the All Blacks look good all of a sudden, don't they? So, yeah, I mean, Alan Wynne Jones' time is not up. It will. It's it's like Johnny Sexton. You know, he can galvanise a team when he wants to at an age. You know, how old is he for like forty six now? But he's still going. Goody is not the same as Johnny Sexton. But in terms of leadership and influence, he he can have that galvanising effect for Wales. But no, he's not the player that Johnny Sexton is in terms of his impact on a team. I agree. And now I've thought about it, that's probably a pretty stupid thing to say, James. So thank you for correcting me. <laughs> well, that's fine. Hey, we all say stupid things. But the player pool in Wales is not good enough just to sign Alan Wynne Jones off now, a year out from a World Cup when he can still go. You guys mentioned Papali'i before, only because it's been a talking point in New Zealand all year whether he should start in front of Sam Kane, whether he's a better player. Yes. I looked at that the weekend and I thought the makeup of their back row with Frizzell in there as well. I don't know whether he'd be front line, but Papalihi and Adi Surveyor were the two best forwards on the pitch by a country mile. He looks really good, Andy Rowe. So the worry is around New Zealand. Again, I was chatting to my mate about it this week because we love rugby. Maybe we'll chat about it at the live show. I can't remember because we love it that much as well. A team that are shite, someone called them shite, a team that haven't performed where they have done in recent years, still win the rugby championship with teams like Argentina, who we know are good, Australia, who we saw were good again at the weekend and they beat Scotland the week before, and the world champion South Africa, and New Zealand still win that this year. That's how good they are. Well, two of the best teams in the world, well, the two best teams in the world, arguably, well, Ireland are, 19-16 over South Africa, the world champions. Brutal, brutal physicality. What gave Ireland the edge? A fly half. And while Johnny Sexton had a good game but didn't have... A completely dominant game. The game was one on physicality. The game was one on accuracy. And the chances that Ireland created that they scored from with the difference in the end. I feel sorry for Vilemsa. He's a decent player. He's a good fullback. He's a good ten. He just had a shocker. Yeah, missed kicks to touch. Goal kicking was poor. Cheslin Colby ends up goal kicking. And I said it on here last week. The difference between the two teams at that level when you've got Johnny Sexton, leader, captain, a million caps a million years of age, a million years of experience versus a South African team who are bullish, they're powerful, you know, they can go around blitzing people left, right and centre, they've got the bomb squad. But if you haven't got a 10 that can run the game and unfortunately made the errors that they made at 10, that was the difference. And uh, I was so impressed with Ireland though, to, to soak up some of the the power and, the, and the, the clear outs and it was just monstrous. It was a war. It was effectively a war in Dublin that their lieutenant, Johnny Sexton, led them to victory. I thought the tackle selection being a bit of a nause here. Remember Ireland used to do what was called the choke tackle. Can't say choke now. Yeah. Uh, but they used to tackle high. They used to go high up and target the ball. Then they went away from that and started tackling a lot lower because of obviously the stuff around the high tackle. You, you didn't want to uh, get red carded or whatever. But if you look at the tackle selection against South Africa, they got it spot on. They were going high. Peter Omani, uh, we'll look the whole back row. James Ryan as well. Ty Byrne, who I thought, again, was brilliant. They were targeting the ball, slowing them down. And people talk about South Africa, this power game. They were getting stripped in the tackle as well. Yeah. So I thought that the, their tactics, they just evolved, don't they? Like, that's something that they might have done before. I haven't seen it. I've not picked it up as regularly as I did at the weekend. But the tactics and the strategy that they have going into a game like I'm watching that, you knew it was going to be close. It was 1916 at the end of the game. And yes, it would have come down to kicks, but 
just so well coached. And then like me and Goody have spoken about and when we were chatting to Dan Levy at the live show as well, the physicality that they've brought over the last couple of years really and how they've evolved that. And again, you go over old ground lengths to getting beat by La Rochelle in Europe, Ireland being bullied by England as well. And it's just flipped a switch now. The physicality that they showed and the forward pass. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a forward pass. It wasn't. Razzy posted it. It wasn't a forward pass. But the small margins of the game, I thought they did get the rub of the green. I thought that Nika Amashashkeli, I think I've said it right. I hope I've said it right. My Georgian's not amazing, but I do like Georgian people. I thought he was all right. People were saying how good he was. I think they should have checked the forward pass that Rassi Erasmus just randomly posted on Twitter when he congratulated Ireland. And you can't keep looking at kind of one-off things, really, when you're trying to uh, review a game. For me, it was all about Ireland, the physicality. Jimmy O'Brien coming on, how good was he? It was unfortunate to see Stuart McCluskey, friend of the show, go off as well. I thought he looked wicked. He looked physical, rumours are, well, Andy Fowler said after that it wasn't as serious or we hopes it's not as serious. We've not heard anything, but I thought he looked brilliant coming in for Henshaw. Losing Colin Murray, he looked good as well. On his break, though, looked like he pulled up with his groin. Ty Furlong as well. So they took a bit of hit in terms of players, but strength and depth, physical, tackle selection, uh, number one team in the world, and they showed why. Well, we can get the lowdown on that win over South Africa now as former Island back road. Dan Levy joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks very much for having me on. Dan, what did you make of the interaction with the two legends of Dublin? I say that. That's what they call us when we come to Dublin. We get loose. We get loose. They love us. Yeah, I was a little bit let down, to be honest, lads. By who? Uh, By Big Jim over there. Yeah. Cried off, smoke bomb very, very early on. I I was juiced up. I was ready to go. I knew Goody was was ready to go as well. And... Cried off with a sore thyroid. The first, <laughs> first person to have ever cried off with a sore thyroid. <laughs> it's all business, Dan. It's all business, mate. That's why. Absolutely embarrassing, Jim. But we had a good night. Yeah, we, we kicked on and uh, smashed a chipper as well at the end of it. Your hoarseness, Mr. Levy, is explaining it all to me. Like As in the way that you look like you're feeling because you've got a seven-day hangover or how long ever. What's it been? Four days, a four or five-day hangover. <laughs> explains to me that there's regret over going out with Andrew Goode till half four in the morning. I've actually had a few uh, nights out since as well, so there's a few more mixed in. But uh, <laughs> oh, we had a good crack. Uh, it was sad to see you head on like that, but uh, the two of us uh, went pretty hard. It was uh, it was good night out. Let's talk about the the next few days then. So how do you feel Thursday? And uh, you've obviously had a few over the weekend as well, have you? Yeah, Thursday was, was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. Ended up having a few and then going down to the game on Saturday, um, which is obviously an awesome win for for uh, for the Irish boys and then just kicked on a little bit after that as well. Dad, we'll get on to that. I went away from that show worried and happy with obviously the late night that I knew you were going to have or early morning that you were going to have. But I genuinely got home and then reflected over the weekend, really enjoyed your company. And I mentioned your age, 28 years old. You've had a tough time in terms of having to retire because of injury. And I think... The point I'm trying to make is, like, you were so open at the live show. You, I think you gave us so much. Not that we didn't expect that, but from young players and stuff like that, especially when they're retiring the circumstances that you did, there can be an expectation you just turn up and give, you know, one or two lines in terms of an answer. Did you feel comfortable in that environment? And I know Goody said, did you enjoy it? But you, it seemed like you enjoyed it and you were happy to give a lot of opinion on the Irish squad and the players. Yeah, I mean, I, I did enjoy it. 
usually when you go onto these kind of podcasts and these kind of shows, you don't have a couple of points before and you're not smashing points in the middle of it either. So it was kind of refreshing in that in that regard. But um, yeah, like I'm like I'd be pretty honest with whenever I do anything like that. I don't really think I'm giving too much away because it's kind of you know I kind of say how I feel. But yeah, no, it, it was refreshing. You do some of these things and sometimes they're pretty tedious and you're just like giving the same old questions, the same old answers. Yeah, hopefully get a few more down the line. We might have to go over a bit of old ground because the 80,000 people in the room, we asked you the same question there, but we need to ask it now around your injury because we've got 10 million other listeners that weren't there. But can you just give us a snapshot on kind of how you are because your career was ended, you know, it, it was a bit of a shock to people seeing the fact that you came back from a nasty knee injury, you played, you played so well, and then you ended up retiring. Just give the listeners a kind of a flavour of how it came about and how you are now. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of dealing with a bit of tr- um, injuries coming up to that. So it actually happened in the quarterfinal against uh, Ulster in Europe. And I'd kind of been dealing with kind of ongoing calf trouble and a few little niggly things. Uh, so I'd actually missed the Six Nations before it. But came back, played one or two games, and then just got hit with kind of a freak injury. Got hit straight on my knee in the side, uh, clear out, and basically dislocated my knee off the back of it. So you can imagine what that entails in terms of damage to your knee. So went over, had my surgeries with Andy William, who's like probably regarded as the best knee surgeon in the world. Um, so I was very well looked after in that uh, sense. And, um, you know, then was into pretty much 18 months of pretty grueling and lonely uh, rehab off the back of that came back played comeback season I think I got about seven or eight games I kind of midway through that recovery had another like another further complication but yeah I mean like it, it did the damage was done from that initial surgery or the, the initial injury and John you know, kind of takes solace from you know I gave two seasons you know working my ass off to try and get back and get back to that level that uh, I wanted and expected for myself and you know, it just wasn't to be. So just going to have to kick on with uh, everything else now. And, um, and as I said in the show, absolutely no hard feelings about rugby. I've, I absolutely love the game still. You know, it, it didn't work out for me, but there's no animosity from, from me towards the game. Yeah, I mean, talking about the game itself, obviously, and we spoke about this last week, but you're a pretty immense player. Your results speak for themselves as well. Played 11-1-11 for Ireland. Uh, unbeaten at international level but how, how is it mentally for you because that's what people want to hear about as well in terms of they see the glamour they see how good of a player you were at the weekend but they never see that sort of Monday to Saturday or Sunday to, to Friday where you're prepping you're training you're trying to rehab yourself and all that stuff how how was it mentally for you during that injury but also when you retire how have you found things mentally as well because it is bloody tough isn't it let's let's be honest yeah, I mean, you know, pre-injury, like the time constraints were a lot less for me. So I'd always work, work very, very hard. But, you know, if you look pre and post-injury, I had, you know, hours of work in the gym done before everyone else came in, hours done after everyone left the building, and then you're tagging on all your recovery stuff at home and everything as well. So while I was in it, it, it wasn't, it was just what I have to do. So I'm, I'm a very driven guy. And as I said, I just wanted to get back and, you know, get back into green jersey and stuff but looking back on it now there was unlike i'd be up so early back so late even when i'm at home i have to i have to i had to ice up the whole time and stuff even to get on the pitch and you know i'd go out and train my ass off train really well and the next day i'd have a reaction to my knee so 
it was just unbelievably frustrating. But as I said, very driven. So I, my heart was always in it up until the very end when it was taken out of my hands by uh, my surgeon and my physios and the medical medical team at Leinster. So in terms of how I'm dealing now mentally, it's um, it was obviously a pretty tough month month or two after it happened. Um, just kind of coming to grips with your professional rugby player. You're working your ass off every single day and then boom, you're, you're retired. And it's mid-season as well. So the guys are still prepping for quarterfinal, semifinal of Europe. Uh, I'm on a flight over to Coachella in LA, which is a pretty good way to get over uh, retirement. <laughs> I definitely kind of like to keep my distance a little bit from the media. Do you know, I was just, you know, when I retired, everyone wanted, you know, to chat about it and stuff. And it's not that I wasn't that comfortable. It was just still a bit raw. It was just um, taking a bit of time, but... It's, it's nice to transition from a, a player to a former player now. And, you know, you go out and you actually, like, all the guys in the Irish team, all the guys in the Leinster team are, like, some of my best mates. So I'm actually, like, properly love to see them do well and get with, uh, where maybe before, if you're injured and stuff, you're kind of, uh, it's, you never, no one wants to see the team do unbelievably well without you in a kind of weird, kind of twisted way. But, uh, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, do you have... Um any animosity towards the way that your injury happened? And I say that because it is quite headline stuff at the minute around this crocodile roll. I know your mechanism was slightly different in terms of how yours happened. We saw Darcy Swain pick up a six-week ban. Uh, Jack Willis, who we've had on the show, has had a couple of nasty injuries. Uh, Rory Darge, one of Scotland's great white hopes, um, had an ankle surgery off the back of being crop rolled out. Do you have any views on that part of the game, how it should be refereed and if there should be changes in that? Or are you fairly just, it is one of those things? No, 100%. Like, I mean, I've been on calls with, um, you know, international rugby and kind of talking about this. But like any any crocodile role where you, and you miss the initial uh, clear out or anything where you're diving off your feet in the side is like it's you know it's 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 crazy i think like the amount of damage you can do to someone with these uh illegal clear outs is 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 insane like for for me it was the end of my career and like listen i i don't mind now to be an example for you know future generations where like it, it shouldn't be allowed and you know if if someone misses a clear out or someone sloppy with a clear out and causes someone you know, an ACL tear or something like that. It's, you know, it's harming their livelihood and, and, and obviously their career as well. So I think World Rugby are definitely making strides in the right direction. But, you know, any clear out where you're putting, your, you know, the jackler in, in, in risk of serious should be dealt with accordingly. And, you know, like, you know, I think, as I said, I think they're getting a little bit better. But, you know, I think if there was a couple of examples on a world scale, I think it will it will definitely be good for a younger generation to see and you know, set example going forward. Yeah, let's go positive. Let's switch it to Ireland at the weekend. World number one against the world champions in Dublin, off the back of a unbelievable tour in New Zealand. We knew it was going to be a good game. The physicality was an obvious one, but what did you make of it? I just thought Ireland again were just excellent throughout. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I thought they were unbelievably physical from 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 the onset, and in fairness, the South Africans were up for it as well. So it just made for an unbelievable spectacle. You know, there was there was always going to be big questions about the Irish set piece, how they'd fare against the big South Africans, um, and also their physicality. And I think they answered both. I think, like even if you look at you know the injuries that Ireland had through the game, you know, Tyke Furlong coming off quite early, Finley Beelum coming on and doing an incredible job. 
And that would have been a bit of a question mark fire rugby on who, if Ty comes down, who's up next and, and, and can they perform? And I think he did uh, an outstanding job. I thought James Ryan was unbelievable throughout the whole game. Uh, his physicality, his work in set piece, uh, he was absolutely integral. But, you know, I think like 1 to 15, and even the bench when they came on as well, I thought they were all unbelievable. And it was uh, it was a really good team performance and one that Ireland can really take confidence from, particularly with the criticism that they've had in the last while where they can't perform against a big, you know, a France or an England or a big power-based team. Um, so they can take a lot of confidence from that. I'm sure there's a few sore bodies after the game. But uh, yeah, as I said, it was, it was a huge win for them. And where does that come from in terms of that physicality? Because we've spoken about it on here. You go back two or three years and that was the case. It was what the, the, the comments that were levelled at the team around the physicality. They could play some unbelievable rugby. But now, all of a sudden, they're monstering the, the biggest monsters in the world in South Africa. They're more physical than England when they play against England. They bullied England. That just hasn't come overnight, has it? It's something that's consciously gone on. And you know, we're not seeing these players putting on 15 kilos and coming back as different animals. It's still the same players... You know, but their physicality has gone through the roof, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Like in camp, so you know, I, I I wouldn't say many of the lads would be listening to the media and tuning into their podcast every week. But oh, they do. Oh, they listen to this one. <laughs> they love it. Mm-mm. Humbly. No, there's definitely you, you. You get things through the grapevine, and you, you you know that like players would be questioning, can Ireland do it against a bigger physical side? So they they would have been challenged from the coaches, but also from you know, the players themselves, um, the leaders in the group, Johnny, Pete, uh, or Gary, they would have all said it themselves. So South Africans going to come into town. Everyone knew what South Africa were going to do. And Ireland were just ready for it. And they, they matched them. And uh, in some cases, they, you know, they, they outperformed and they did them. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a test. It was gone to throw down and they did very, very well, I thought. Just to piggyback what Goody's talking about a little bit, where has it come from with, I mean, Ireland have been there or thereabouts for so many years, but especially over the last sort of five years, they're always now one of the top two teams. And the pipeline of young players coming through is strong as well. It's not just a blip and it's not just a couple of players that have got you guys at the top. Where has that big change come from, do you think? It's a good question. You know, you get kind of co- cohorts of players coming through. I think, I think if you look at the players like... Pete, um, I thought Rory Best was a huge sexto. Um, I know they would have been a bit more, that, that would have been towards, not not later in their career, but, um, you know, with, with Bestie's leadership. And I think they just kind of, I think maybe when Joe came in and then obviously with Farrell as well, that they had this kind of defiant kind of culture about them, that they kind of aimed to make a bit of history whenever they went out. So, you know, Ireland hadn't beaten the All Blacks until Chicago around that time was kind of, you know, the first time they'd beaten the All Blacks, they maybe got a bit of belief going forward from there. And then, you know, then they go down and they get their first win on South African soil. They win a test against the Aussies, beat um, the All Blacks in Ireland. And, you know, even with, with the tour down in New Zealand last year, they're just building. And now if you're a young player coming through in Ireland, you know, you're seeing the seniors beat, you know, number one team um, this weekend and win a tour against obviously New Zealand during the summer so you know the, the kind of shackles are off a little bit in that regard so they've always had a good pipeline but now they have you know they do have a serious belief and and obviously some good young players coming through as well. Mm. What about the environment under Andy Farrell 
it seems, and it must be, well, world number one, all the things we've just spoken about that you've just reeled off there. Compared to Joe Smith, it seems like Joe Smith kind of lost the change room a little bit at the end. Andy Farrell comes in and there's been a huge shift. What are the lads, what are your mates saying about working under Andy Farrell? Yeah, they are, they're absolutely loving us. I mean, when Farrell took the reins, I, I think he, he his first Six Nations they maybe didn't perform to their best, um, but but there's a lot of change going on. I think he asked the players to lead a lot more, and the environment was completely different. And the players bought in massively, and you know they're just being challenged to get better every week and keep getting better. And the camp is in an unbelievable place. Um, everyone loves being in camp. They love you know the camaraderie, and when you're getting wins like that as well, what's not to love? And they say, obviously, everyone outside of the squad is, uh, and with the rankings, Ireland are number one team in the world. You hear them from in, inside the squad, the likes of Johnny Sexton saying, we'll take the praise when we win trophies and stuff like that. The big kind of taboo thing around Ireland and World Cups is getting past the quarterfinals. We know you can win Grand Slams. We know you, know, you can win Six Nations and everything like that. But is there any chat around that in the in the camp around you know the World Cup being a year away? Is it just next game, next business, let's just keep enjoying the moment now or is the thoughts further down the line of what you can achieve in a World Cup? No, I don't think, like it's a long way. Uh, there'll be a lot of rugby between now and then. I think the Irish boys um, are just trying to get better. They're trying to challenge themselves every time they go out in the field and I think I think you sit back and you you you, you rest on your laurels a little bit which, you know, they're, they're number one in the world now and they, they just beat South Africa. They could do. You're in a dangerous spot there and you're not in a growth mindset. So, you know, I know, I know, I know the leaders they have in the group and the players they have. So, They'll they'll already flick the switch now to to Fiji coming to town or just off the back of a good win and they'll I I I'd love to see them mix up the team a lot and give these guys these younger guys and these kind of fringe guys a good opportunity to put their hand up and then we'll see what happens for their last their last game against the Aussies. The million dollar question. Now people listening to this, Dan, will think you sound unbelievable, which you do, and it's great, and you've got an opinion, you speak clearly. But it is the million-dollar question. If it's not Johnny, so say Johnny goes down, say he gets a dead leg, say all his hair falls out and he ain't happy with how he looks, so he refuses to play. Who's your ten? I think after I'm going to say the least controversial thing ever at the moment, um, <laughs> but I th- I think after Joey's performance against France, I think it has to be him. I, I think before that, I was I kind of questioned his form a little bit, but like you're going to France for a World Cup. You're going to play France in the Stade de France if you want to win it. I thought he was brilliant that day, and it gave me a lot of confidence in him. And I think he's the only real person to stand up in that Irish squad as a 10, really tried and tra- tested, uh, obviously, after Johnny. So, as I said, you know, if, if, if I were a coach, which I definitely am not going to be, but um, I would be, I'd be giving these guys opportunities. I'd, I'd give Joey a start. If Foley's going to be their next option, is that if that's who they want, I'd start him as well. And just, you know, like, uh, as I said to you guys on, on, the, on the live show, I, I don't really care if they're number one in the world. As a player, I didn't even know. I never knew what our ranking was. I never cared what the ranking was. It's, it's all kind of irrelevant noise to me. If you if you lose a couple of games and you blood players the right way, and when it comes around to the World Cup in France, and you have you know two or three viable options because injuries will happen, you're in a way better place than being number one in the world and having Johnny and no one else because you know a lot of injuries happen and Johnny is uh, he's not the young study what once was so um, 
yeah, so we'll see where they go from there. All right, Dan, well, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been very insightful. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Dan, thanks, mate. Cheers, Dan. Top bloke. Yeah, legend of a bloke. I enjoyed my time with him. Uh, Jim, you let us down. You smoked bombed early. We cracked on, and we ended up with chips and kebab at R4. What a lovely bloke, eh? Really is a top boy. You know what? I, I'm trying to not make this sound, what's the word, where your expectations of someone are very different to what the reality is. Now, I don't mean to sound this like demeaning in any way, but young man, right? So he's a young lad. I don't know, when was he born? I mean, it would have been, what was he, 28? Mid-90s. So mid-90s, you know, that kind of era of like, they don't give you much, like it's, the personalities don't really shine through. Like he gave a slow at the live show and on the podcast now for the people listening to that, everyone is thinking, engaging bloke, well-educated, understands the game, He's got an opportunity. What I'm saying is, he's, he probably doesn't realise yet. He probably don't give a shit either. But like, he's. Do you not think, Goody, in terms of guests that we've had, young people, in terms of delivering and being able to contextualise, be energised, be charismatic, he had all them things. And I agree. I thought he was a lovely bloke. And like, he did call me out for not coming out. So if he does that again, I won't say the same. But <laughs> he's a man that tells the truth, and I loved. I can't remember what we were talking about till our four in the morning, but we did, and it was good fun. Uh, yeah, he's a brilliant bloke. Really enjoyed his company. He was brilliant in the live show, and I've got no doubt we'll have him back at a live show. And next time, I'm going to handcuff you to him, Jim, so you have to drink pint for pint with him because he can put him away. Well, let's go over to Paris then. Were you guys surprised by how much Australia troubled Sean Edwards' defence? Yes. No. We disagree, James. Yeah, we start to do that more and more these days, don't we? Yeah. Why is that? Because you stay out till half five and I go to bed at half ten. So, like, we're just different people. Don't add a few hours on. No, listen, Australia are a decent outfit in terms of... They've always had attacking intent, right? It's the Australian way. The try Fichetti scores is just ridiculous. And it looked like France were going to score. You know, Australia are a decent team. You know, they, they dusted Scotland last week pretty comfortably, didn't they, Jim? Well, you say dusted. But, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, they scored one good try, I think, against Scotland. But they've beaten the All Blacks. You know, we're talking about the top ten teams in the world at the minute who all of them can kind of compete with each other. And Australia have been a team, we're looking at France now going, one of the best teams in the world, Australia, you know, they've not been great for ages. Australia are bouncing back and they're a decent side. You know, we had Nick White on here before, some of the players they've got coming through, some of the youngsters, likes of Town, the centres, you know, they, I thought they went over to France and it's France's first game. The, the French are predominantly slow, uh, you know, in, into a, an autumn campaign where they've not played together for a while. Don't forget France, went to Japan in the summer, didn't take their first 15, their whole squad, did they? They, they made a load of changes. So they haven't played their top-tier players together collectively since the Six Nations last year. You've got Untermax starting at 10, who's hardly played any rugby so far this season at all. So when you look at the nuts and bolts of it, you're thinking, actually, it didn't surprise me that Australia could test the French at all. I thought the French would be too good for them in the end and would pull away, but it went down to... Pinot's try ridiculous finish for him you know match winning try deserved to win the game and he you know he got his own back because he got absolutely rinsed in the first half for the try for Fichetti by Tom Wright who I didn't know Tom Wright was that quick he had proper wheels but it just shows you the quality that Pinot's got to be able to step him on the inside and then skin the fullback as well you know Damien Pinot is money ball goody you know he is like money ball top of the list in terms of players in the world, so I've heard. Like, as in on the list of players, like me or you would be like in the top 10, maybe top 15, and then they pay accordingly. Like Penno, 
is apparently top of the list. Like meat is made, effect on the game, like all these different things, which is weird for a winger. That's what I've heard anyway. So do you think it was just a slow start for France? Or did the Wallabies expose some weaknesses that others haven't in the past? I wouldn't say, well, you look at the Ireland game last year against France, they found holes. This French team are a lot better than they used to be in terms of you know, the structures, their defence, their work ethic, their physicality. They used to be able to switch it on and off and it was a it was a case of switching it on and off whenever they fancied it. Now they're they're on it most of the game. But Australia are a good team. You know they've got threats all over the field. Big Willie Little Willie Skelton he comes off the bench as well and you know bring add some physicality. I don't think I'm not saying France got weaknesses. What I'm saying is international rugby at the minute is so hard to call because the levels of teams are much closer than they've ever been in terms of the top ten. Uh, listen, France is an unbelievable outfit. You know, when they want it, they're very hard to beat. You look at what Anton Dupont does. Um, he ends up driving, I think it was Kellaway back about 15 metres. Then they blitz through, turn him over, and Marchant scores a try. I'm surprised they didn't check the grounding of that, though, because... Speak to Andrew Brace. Well, the TMO Andy says, I didn't, I didn't think it was definitely grounded. And where Marius Jonker, the referee, was, he was on the wrong side. So, anyway, we digress. France are good. Australia... Play pretty well. They'll be pretty happy with the performance. We had Nick White on the other week and he was fancying them themselves to go over to France and cause a bit of trouble and they played bloody well. They came within four minutes of winning the damn thing. So they'll be pretty impressed themselves, the Wallabies. Let's take a look at the Fanzo Guinness Pint Predictor. You get a free pint of Guinness if you predict who wins. All you have to do is download the free Fanzo app. That's F-A-N-Z-O. Go to the Guinness Pint Predictor and enter the code RugbyPod. There's also a weekly quiz, so you can win another free pint. Well, let's get your predictions. Ireland, Fiji. Comfortable win for Ireland. Yeah, 25 points, I'd say, at least. Yeah, I was going to say 24, so just keep one point difference. I agree. Italy, Australia. I'm commentating. Are you, Jim? Italian correspondent. Yeah, just one this year. I got dropped. I did three last year for Prime Video. Just one this year. I'm going to go Australia. Bye. 18. Yeah, I was going to say Australia by 20, so I'll stick to that, James. Australia by 20. England, Japan. Ooh. Oh, Japan by six. What? Who said that? Who said that? Really? <laughs> no. no, England will get their mojo back, uh, and I think we'll win by 15 points. Come on, England, please. I think it's become that big a game, and I know I say that out from a World Cup, and it's all about the World Cup, but I just think that it's a must-win game. I'm going to say England by 12. Wales, Argentina. Argentina by nine. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say Argentina as well, but I think it'd be a lot closer. I think Argentina by three. France, South Africa. France. I'm going to say it. France by eight. Uh, South Africa have got real issues at 10. Andre Pollard isn't far off being fit. And do you know what? I'm not going to say who it was, Jim. I speak to a Leicester Tigers player down at the England game at the weekend who wasn't involved with England, but has played for England many times. He scored many tries, this person. Lovable rogue. He says Andre Pollard is the business at training. So he basically disagrees with you, Jim. South Africa at the minute, they're fucked without a 10. Andre Pollard's nearly fit. I wonder if Andre Pollard might be fit for that England game towards the end of the Autumn Internationals. But I'm going to say France by eight. Yeah, if Andre Pollard is nearly fit, you're welcome. He's not even in his prime yet. He's got years ahead of him. I'm going to say France as well by 12. I think we'll see France looking sensational. I agree with Goody. Issues at 10 for South Africa. Scotland, New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand by 42. That too many. Um, no, New Zealand by 32, I reckon. Sorry, Jim. No, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. We're just different people. I get that. Uh, I'm going to back Scotland. And this is more heart than head. Scotland by 14. 
Are you pissed? Finn to score two wonder tries when he comes on. We're drawing, I don't know, 50 all, and Finn comes on, scores two tries, and we win 64 points to 50. So everyone's out. They're out, we're out, I'm out. All right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to start off with Gregor Townsend being put in the good this week. Surprise, surprise. Basically, he's picked Finn Russell. That's why he's in the good. He's gone back and realised that he can he cope without his maestro. So, Gregor gets a mention in the good this week. I'm talking about Finn Russell. Of course, Finn's going to get a mention in the good as well. Uh, he scored a try and 14 points with the boot in the second half for Racing in their win against Perpignan. Basically, since he's been dropped by Scotland, he's carved up the top 14. He's back in the squad, so everyone's happy. Make sure he starts against New Zealand, Gregor. Uh, what else was good? England's women through to yet another World Cup final after beating Canada in the semi-final, 26 points to 19. So uh, big shout out to the Red Roses and hopefully they can spank the Black Ferns this weekend, Andy Rowe. We'll see. We'll see. We certainly will. We'll go over to France now. Plenty of good coming out of France. Montpellier, they won 26-16 away at Toulon. Uh, big shout out to those boys. And Poo, I mean Poe. I mean Poe, yes, Poe. They got a mention in the good last week. They get another mention this week. Uh, last week they beat La Rochelle away from home, but this week they spanked Bordeaux 33 points to 7 at home. So a massive shout out to those boys. And also Bayonne get a mention in the good this week. They never get a mention in the good Bayonne, but they did. They beat Claremont away from home, 25 points to 20. So a massive victory for the boys from Bayonne. So well done to them. Alex Goode gets a mention in the Goode this week. Again, he's on fire as Alex Goode. Did a quick Q&A with him at the weekend. He's shocking on the mic, but he can certainly play his ruggers at the minute. He scored 20 points in Saracens, 25-10 victory over Bristol's. Big shout out to Saracens as well. They get a mention. Still unbeaten in the Prem this year, so... Well done to them. Sticking in the Premiership, Tommy Freeman gets a shout-out in the good this week. Back from injury, he scored two tries for Saints in their win over the Exeter Chiefs on Friday night. Uh, he's now back in the England squad as well, so hopefully we'll see him in an England jersey this weekend. Uh, well done, Tommy Freeman. Bath get a mention in the good this week. Producer Rob won't be happy, but they've been in the bad plenty of times, Bath. They went up to Newcastle this weekend and got a victory, uh, 17 points to 10. So shout-out to the Bath boys. Over to the internationals in the good, and we're going to start off over in Ireland. And we're not talking about Ireland against South Africa yet. We will, but we're going to talk about whoever chose the mascots for the Ireland A versus New Zealand 15 game on Friday night. Basically, Craig Casey, have a look at it, have a look on my Instagram. Craig Casey is captain of Ireland A, and he's about four foot tall, bless him. The mascot was a young girl who was about 12 years old who is taller than Craig Casey so it actually looks like Craig Casey might be the mascot in a women's game so whoever picked out the mascots for that game has absolutely stitched Craig Casey up Simon Zebo's been hammering him on social media have a look at it it is absolutely hilarious I got a message from Craig Casey as well so uh, shout out to whoever picked that mascot because the female mascot was taller than Craig Casey uh, for Ketty's try for Australia uh, an absolute worldie. They get a shout out in the good this week. Talking of tries, Damien Pinot's finish. We spoke about it earlier. It's basically a match winner for France against Australia. Big step, big fend, hell of a finish to win a game. Absolutely outstanding. Sticking with the internationals, but we're going to go to the refereeing side of the game. Old Wayno Barnes. Wayno made his 100th game as a referee at the weekend for Wales's victory over New Zealand. I think the New Zealanders have forgiven him for 2007. And there, his performance for uh, France against New Zealand in that quarter. Have you forgiven him yet in New Zealand, Andy Rowe? We love him. We love him. 
There you go. Wayno Barnes, 100 caps. Wayno, what a name, Wayno. So, uh, yeah, well done to him. Talking about 100 caps, Connor Murray gets a shout-out in the good this week. Uh, he got his 100th cap for Ireland at the weekend. Uh, didn't last too long because it looked like he's pulled his hip flexor. It looked pretty serious, actually. So, I hope he's okay. But massive shout-out to Connor Murray for getting to 100 caps. What else is good? Ardi Sarveya. We spoke about him earlier. Absolutely ridiculous. 15 carries, six tackle breaks, a try and an assist. He basically monstered the whole of the Wales team on his own. So uh, the All Blacks as well get a mention. 10 visits to Wales is 22 and eight tries. What else was good? Two bits to go. It's a long good this week. There's a lot of ruggers. Uh, Ireland get a mention in the good and specifically Josh van der Fleer, who potentially is one of the world players of the year. He scored seven tries in his last 13 tests. He was a monster at the breakdown as well. Ireland beating South Africa to show they are the world's number one team as much as they don't want to admit it. They don't want to talk about it. Ireland played exceptionally well uh, and got the victory. So big shout out to those boys. But the good this week goes, unfortunately, from an English perspective, to our friends over in Argentina and specifically Emiliano Buffelli, who scored 25 points for Argentina. An unbelievable try as well in the corner. It's the first win over England for Argentina since 2009 when I played fly half. So Marcus Smith is the current holder of the fly half jersey when England last lost to Argentina. I'm glad I've lost that record. The good this week has to go to Emiliano Buffelli for his 25-point haul and the worldie of a try in the corner. And Argentina, well done to them. You get the good this week. Uh, the bad, few bits of bad. Uh, we're going to start off. Claremont lost 25-20 at home to Bayonne. We mentioned Bayonne and the good, but not good for Claremont to lose at home. Sorry, producer Rob. My old club, Newcastle, get a mention of the bad this week. They lost 17-10 at home to Bath. Not good, my friends. Bristol's get another mention of the bad this week. That's now five defeats on the spin in the Premiership when they lost at home to Saracens. So not good from those boys. Scotland, going to get a mention of the bad. Not because of their performance against Fiji, but basically because they allow Buffelli to kick for Edinburgh. So he's so good that he beats England single-handedly, so I'm not happy with Scotland. That's my excuse. But the bad this week has to go to Eddie Jones and his England team. 73% territory, but we made 14 turnovers, some daft penalties, not showing anything in attack. Pretty abject performance. So the bad this week goes to Eddie Jones and England. And then the ugly. Three bits of ugly to talk about, really. Luke Cowan-Dickey gets a mention. Uh, his tackle off the ball on the knee of Eduardo Bello wasn't particularly nice, so that gets a mention. But Fiji's Vinaya Habosi swinging arm to the head of Rory Sutherland in Fiji's defeat of Scotland was pretty ugly as well. But the winner of the ugly this week, and it's not something you want to win, uh, was USA lock Sia Ossi Mahoney with an awful shoulder to the head clear out of a defenceless player at the Rock in their win over Kenya at the weekend over in Dubai. He only got a yellow from French referee Tuel Trianini, who is the wearer of the mountain boots when I commented on the game last year. He was wearing hiking boots to referee, and so he's had a shocker. But Sia Ossi Mahoney, you get the ugly this week for the shoulder to the head of the Kenyan player when he wasn't even looking. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, a big shout-out to Northwich Rugby Club, uh, which was sadly set on fire last month. They're having to rebuild the clubhouse, and they're looking to come back even stronger. They've already had some donations. They've set up a GoFundMe page, and if ever, anyone wants to help out, help them raise a bit of money and get them back on their feet. Just search on the GoFundMe Northwich Rugby Club and help them out. Help the brothers out and sisters. Yeah, mine's a very sad one, actually. Um, a massive shout out to everyone at Ivy Bridge Rugby Club and specifically Oliver Baker's family. Uh, sadly, Oliver passed away last week um, and everyone has been 
in mourning ever since. Hugely sad story. So thoughts and prayers with Oliver Baker's family and everyone down at Ivy Bridge Rugby Club. Uh, he was a wonderful 16-year-old player and um, yeah, thoughts with everyone down there. Before we finish, it's only a few months away, so we're planning for the upcoming Guinness Six Nations and already have two massive shows in London and Edinburgh to kick things off. We're at O2 Indigo in London on Friday the 3rd of February and Usher Hall in Edinburgh on Wednesday the 8th of Feb. We have made it. And we've got some massive guests lined up as well and tickets are going on sale next Tuesday morning at Ticketech.com. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim, and thanks, Producer Rob. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. What would Robbie Williams do at the live shows? Get loose. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. <laughs>